How about worship? Is that good? Yeah, you know, they were a hot mess um, before, so it's always amazing as I was in here listening to warm up how God shows up. I don't, I don't know what... <laughs> I don't know what I enjoy more, playing with them or just sitting and worshiping while they play. So that was great. You know, it seems like every week we have kind of a new march going on. Some group out marching for some cause. And every time I watch this, I think to myself, like, what would I actually get up and march for? And this isn't like political or social for me. I'm just lazy, so don't judge me. But you know, I did do the, uh, the Million Man March about 20 years ago in D.C. with about a million other guys because it was a cause I believed in. Because when I watch these people in their marches, I'm thinking to myself, okay, what would I get up early for, make a sign, drive down to where they're starting the march, march with everybody, listen to some speeches, and then, you know, walk back to my car? Like, it would have to be the most rocking cause ever. Like in order, and I would have to be fully invested in it. I mean, it has to be something I really, really believed in, which is why it's amazing to me when I when I watch news programs sometimes, and they go out to marches and interview people, and they don't know why they're marching. <laughs> like, have you seen this? Like, like, how does this happen? Like, we just marked walking down the street, and someone's like a sign in your hand and said, "Come on!" Like, okay, all right. Like, I just couldn't imagine just getting in a march and not fully understanding what I was marching for. But the, but the irony of this is this is nothing new. This type of marching for not knowing what we're doing has been going on for literally thousands of years. And that's what we're going to look at this morning from that verse we just read in John 12 about the triumphant entry that Jesus had back into Jerusalem. Now, to give you a little uh, background about this and what was going on, so... Essentially, Jesus, it was just at a time where he had raised Lazarus from the, from the grave. So it was this amazing thing that a lot of people watched. And so he had raised Lazarus, and he was still in the area, and he was going to having dinner soon with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. But because he raised Lazarus from the grave, this infuriated the Pharisees. I mean, what nerve to go around healing people and raising people from the dead. So this, like the plot to kill him, was kind of going into, into high gear with the Pharisees. And it was about six days at this time, in this passage in John 12, six or seven days before the Passover season. So essentially what was happening is that people from all the surrounding areas were coming to Jerusalem and purifying themselves to get ready for the Passover festival. Now, to picture this, think of Crested Butte around July 4th. You know, lots of people coming to town. And that's what this was. The, the city of Jerusalem would really grow by two to three times. So I think we actually had it worse. But that's what was going on in Jerusalem. But what was happening, just like here, is because there's nowhere to stay in town, everyone was camping out around the town. So people were pitching tents and staying, and they were around the town because there's no place to stay inside the town. And it was during this time, with all this going on, Jesus was kind of in a neighboring town of Bethany, and he was having dinner with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Lazarus had just been raised from the dead. He's eating a meal. It's kind of fascinating. But also in this time, this is when Mary, in the passage before this, washed Jesus' feet with, with an expensive bottle of perfume. So he, Mary's washing Jesus' feet. 
Lazarus, who's just been raised from the dead, is eating with Jesus. So obviously, in town, the crowd's like, we've got to go check this out. They've got to see what's happening because something amazing is happening. A, a, a man was raised from the, I mean, he was wrapped in clothes in the grave, and now he's eating with Jesus. And so people wanted to go check this out and see what was happening. And so the Pharisees again saw this, and they thought, okay, now we've got to kill Lazarus because Lazarus is getting too much attention. And I don't know if the Pharisees ever listens to themselves talk, but how did that meeting go? You know, you guys, you know, we need to kill Lazarus. Why? Because he's not dead. Like, so we've got to kill him. He's getting too much attention. But that's where they were. So they're just increasingly getting infuriated, the, the Pharisees are. And that's where we find ourselves in this John 12 story. So that's John 12, 12 through 18. And so that's the scene. Is this large crowd. It's outside Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house. Here that Jesus is going into town. He's going to go into Jerusalem. And so there's this big group of people already around town. And so this triumphant entry begins to happen. And they are, they're all jacked up and they're buzzing because they've been following Jesus. They've been seeing these miracles. They've been listening to his teaching. But the dude just raised a man from the grave. Whoa. I mean, they are kind of all, they, they bought fully into Jesus now. And that's what you're seeing is this crowd reacting to that. It's kind of the pinnacle of belief that Jesus is actually the Messiah. This actually could be true is what they're believing. Now, there are a couple of minor details to understand about this scene. And first off is the donkey, even though John doesn't talk about it. We learn in Matthew 21 that Jesus sent his disciples into town. He told them where the donkey would be. He told them what to say, and it happened just as that you told him to. And this happened because it was a fulfillment of Scripture out of Zechariah 9.9, where it says that he would be mounted on a donkey on a colt in the foal of the donkey. And, and this is interesting to note because it's really the only time we ever see Jesus take any form of transportation other than walking, is he got on a donkey. And so that's an important kind of thing to note. And the next thing to understand are the palm branches. So when they, Jesus was on the donkey and he's going into town, they start putting down these palm branches. Now, the palm branches, they were in big supply. I mean, they were all over town, so they didn't have to send out for them. They didn't have to order them. They were there, so they were picking them up and just placing them in front of Jesus. Now, the important thing to understand about the palm branches is it was a kind of a nationalistic symbol of the Jewish people, of the nation of Israel. And so this was somewhat ceremonially putting down the palm branches to state, you are the king of Israel. Because what you have to understand is that other verse and what they said as they were putting him down. Because they said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Now the word Hosanna means save us now. It was a common in the Psalms. People knew about it. And so they, that was something that would have been understood in that time. And the other part, the blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So that's out of Psalms 118.26. So again, something that would have been understood, something that would have been familiar. But the interesting part is what they tagged on, that even the king of Israel. So that's not in Scripture. That's not something Jesus even said, but they added it on. 
because now they want him to be the king. If he's this amazing, if he can do such great work, then we want him to be our king. And so that's what they're stating in that adding that little words on there. So John doesn't talk about it, but we know that the Pharisees again. So remember, you know, Jesus is raising people from the dead, so he has to die. Lazarus got raised from the dead, so he has to die. The Pharisees are agitated. And so now the next day, Jesus is walking in town in a triumphal entry. How do you think the Pharisees felt? Man, they have they've blown their top. They've had enough. And somehow they, they get close enough to Jesus and all this marching going on, and they tell him, you got to quit this. I mean, you got to tell your disciples to stop doing this. And Jesus, because of all this going on, he replies back to them in Luke 19.40. He says, I tell you, if these people were silent, even the stones would cry out. So that's what you have to understand about this whole procession is it had to happen. It was the fulfillment of Scripture. This wasn't something that was just put on. It was the fulfillment of the Scripture and what Christ was doing and about to do on the cross. And these triumphal entries, they, they wouldn't have been anything new. It was, it was kind of um, a process of the Roman government or the times uh, that when people came to town, either troops or dignitaries, that there would be this kind of procession going on. But the difference is I don't think there was a procession of one man on a donkey coming into town. Like this would have been one person with their entourage, you know, in a big brouhaha happening as he comes into town. But Jesus, think about it. One man on a donkey, and his disciples were clueless about what was happening. <laughs> they had no idea, okay, why are all these people acting this way? So they weren't really kind of figuring out what was happening. They only understood later what all of this meant. And so we have this scene happening with like fifty to 100,000 people shouting, singing, praising, and Jesus walking into Jerusalem. Now, one thing I want to look at closely here is the crowd. And what was happening with this crowd? Because it's an interesting dynamic. Because no matter how strong, and this is a, a humanistic approach, is no matter how individualistic we think we are, we will follow the crowd. And studies have shown this. The way we think, the way we act, we may not do so individually, but we may do so in a crowd. Just like if you saw the Philadelphia Eagles after they won, there's a big crowd of people probably doing things they wouldn't have done on their own as they're celebrating the victory of the Super Bowl because the crowd is getting excited. The crowd is getting them involved. And so this massive crowd comes out of nowhere. And you have to understand, I mean, there wasn't any Snapchatting or flash mobs or tweeting. This just happened organically. This crowd comes, and since they're all singing and praising, it starts growing and growing. And the chorus grows louder and louder. And so we know in this moment, the, lead, the crowd, because of their singing and praising, was at least attempting to honor Jesus. The palm branches were a sign of the honor, the, the saying, we, we want him king of Israel. But did they really believe in what they were doing? Or were they acting as a crowd? Because how do we act when we get in crowds? Are we truly moving through life with what we truly believe, or are we just following the crowd? As we've seen in these massive marches, people are joining huge crowds and have no idea why. They, why. 
have no idea or understanding of what they're even protesting or marching for. And as recent research has shown, we will follow crowds. Now, I don't know if you've seen this video, but it's of this young woman, and she walks into a, a doctor's office. And so she checks in and sits down. And it's a, it's, it's a pretty crowded doctor's office, but they're all in on this little experiment. And so all, all the people are sitting around, they're reading. You know, she's reading, waiting for the doctor. And they're on their phones talking while they're reading. But on cue, everyone in the office stands up. And so the girl's like, you know, what's going on? And she, she looks around for a moment, but then what do you think she does? She stands up. There's zero reason for her to stand up. But because everyone else is doing it, our mentality, our thinking is we don't want to be excluded from the crowd. We want to be a part of the community. And if they're all doing that, then I need to do it as well. It's that crowd mentality, that mob mentality that we've all seen. But there's a scientific reasoning behind it that we want to belong, that we want to be a part of something greater than ourselves. And so that's kind of what we're seeing here with this crowd, which makes us have to ask, what was their motivation in celebrating Jesus? Was it because they wanted to expand Christ's kingdom or they want to expand their own little kingdoms? Which brings us to this cry that, that they said, this Hosanna, the king of Israel, which kind of unwraps it a little more because it shows us their motivation. We want them to be king of Israel. We want him to rule in our lives because they saw the miracles. And remember, they just saw Lazarus. They were motivated. They were excited. They were buzzing. These cool things were happening. And so they wanted a part of it. They wanted him to be king of Israel. So they cried out, king of Israel, we want you. We ready, we're ready to put a crown on your head. And I know Jesus is thinking, well, I never said that. <laughs> I never put myself in that position. Which brings us to kind of the cause that they were marching for. And so we have these two causes happening. They're kind of in direct contrast to one another. So are they marching because they want Christ to be who they think he should be? Or do they really want Christ to be who he is? And they're in direct contrast to one another. And guess what? 2,000 years later, it's the same thing we're struggling with. Do I really want to worship Christ for who, for who he is? Or should he be who I think he should be? And it causes us to worship in different ways. Because we know the reality of this crowd is they weren't really cheering on the God in human form for pure reasons. They're cheering on the idea of who they want Jesus to be for them. Because I want to be freed from this Roman government. I want... Jerusalem to kind of be restored to what it was before in all its glory, and, and he can do it. I know he can do it. And that's kind of what they're thinking. Because Jesus has been around for three years teaching that the crowd wasn't fully engaged until now because of this miracle, because of their buzzing. So the scenario unfolds, and it begs us to ask the question, how do we come before Christ? What is our motivation and our heart when we come before Christ? And in our society, are we willing to go against the crowd in order to follow the Christ in who he says he is? Or do we want to follow the crowd in the easy way? 
and who we think he should be. You know, Jesus wants our praise and celebration, but too often we see him through the issues of the day and how we think he should be in our lives. Which kind of brings us to the point of taking our eyes off of Christ. Because this goes into what happens with this crowd. Because what happens when we take our eyes off of Christ? Because remember, this crowd, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. A week later, was going, crucify him, crucify him. A week. Man, I at least like to think I'd last 10 days. (laughs) But a week from praising him to putting him on a cross. What happens when you take your eyes off of Christ? This this was an original part of the message. um, And as I was going through this, this whole crowd thing was really resonating with me because of what happened in Florida. Because of the shooting in a school. When I look at that, it's devastating, it's heartbreaking, and it's frustrating to see what's happening in our country and happening to our children. We have a fundamental problem in our communities. And let me tell you, politics is not going to solve the problem. We don't have a gun or knife issue. We have a heart issue. Because when an individual wants to take another life or even their own life, there's a problem. There's a disconnect. And it's not for the politicians to fix. It's for the church. We should look at issues like this and what's happening in our nation is a wake-up call for the church. Because politics is not going to solve the problem. We need to give the crowd something different to look at. Because we're failing our younger generation right now. And we're failing our children and communities. In a very basic level, our, our, our young kids have no clue how to live in this modern world. And we're not giving them a viable option to a different life, a full life. And as a church, as a Christian community, we're not given a good alternative to the crowd that they're following and seeing on a constant and consistent basis. And you don't have to take my word for it. And I put these on the screen because I want you to see them, the statistics of what's happening in our society. Teenage suicide has doubled in the last 10 years, and we're trending to double again, again in the next five Approximately one out of 75 people may experience panic disorder before they even reach adulthood. That's not even counting what happens with adults. Next one. Stress is a top health concern, a top health concern for children from 9th to 12th grade, for our high schoolers. Psychologists say if they don't learn healthy ways to manage stress now, it could have serious long-term health implications. 31% of Americans are likely to suffer from an anxiety problem at some point during their lifetime. A third of the people in this room will have some type of anxiety attack. Depression will affect 1 in 10 Americans at some point in their lives, 80% of whom will never seek any type of treatment because they don't know what to do or they're embarrassed by what's happening to them. Depression is also the leading cause of disability in the U.S. among People age 15, again, are high schoolers, are struggling with depression. And it ranks among one of the top three workplace problems in the U.S. 
And the last one, <clears throat> 75 to 90% of all doctor's visits are stress-related ailments. We have a problem. We have a problem in our society, and we're failing an entire generation. You see, for the last 30 years, we've taken Christ out of our families, out of our communities, and our schools. And somehow we think that we're all going to act the same. We're all going to treat each other the same with no common bond, with no basis for doing so in the midst of, com- of a constant and competing message from the world. Now, I grew up in Texas, and I played high school football, and every Friday night before the football game, we had a prayer over the loudspeaker, which is insane to think about right now. Every Friday night. And guess what? No one died during those prayers. No lives were ruined because we prayed. But now what we're seeing is communities fully, what they fully and truly look like when we take Christ out of the community, when we take our eyes off of Christ. Remember the devil, he comes to kill, still, and destroy. And we're letting him do a fantastic job of it. But Jesus says, I have come to give you life. And not just life, what type of life? You all know it. An abundant life. But when was the last time you asked someone, hey, how are you doing? And they went, oh, abundant. I'm, a, I'm abundant. I don't, I'm not sure we even know what that means. I'm not sure we even know what that looks like. But this is why Jesus went through town on a donkey and got hung on a cross so we could have an abundant life. Something has to change for the sake of our young people in our communities. Something has to change. Or else they're going to keep on following misguided crowds. They keep looking at one crowd and think it's a solution. But guess what? That crowd has no clue what they're doing. Or they look at an individual, but that person has no idea what they're doing. They're just going to jump from crowd to crowd to crowd, seeking something that can only be found in Christ. So the first thing we need to do is we need to put our eyes back on Christ. Because we've seen the results 2,000 years ago. We're seeing the results today. There are only two places to put your sight, your vision, if it's not on Christ. The first is on yourself. I'm not sure that's good. Just putting self is the main institution, the main reason for living, and that's always going to fail you. The second is, is the crowds. Putting your, your complete trust in what they're going to do, and they have no clue as to what they're doing. Which is why we're hearing today in the world about Christians. Because in Jesus' day, the crowd was chanting crucify him because the religious leaders refused to believe that Jesus was the Christ because it messed with their little kingdoms. They had it really good before Jesus came. I mean, they were respected, they had a good job, they were well-fed, but Jesus came in and kind of messed with all that, and that didn't go well with them. Which is what we're seeing and hearing today's world, that our faith is weak, 
Or even last week, this past week, someone said, our faith is a mental illness in the crowds. I read an article yesterday that was called Christian Shaming. And it's really the only acceptable discrimination in the U.S. of shaming Christians. Because we're not worth it. No one has any place for Christ in their lives because they're, not, they're getting along fine without him, they tell themselves. But are they? Our lives are crumbling at a meteoric rate. We just refuse to address the real problem with a logical solution, which is put our eyes back on Christ, to bring Christ back to our families, to our communities, and to our schools, to stop playing the game of church, to stop going to church and be the church. To stop acting like Christians and actually start being followers of Christ. The writer of Hebrews, when he talks about this in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, he says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. How many would like that? That sounds really good, doesn't it? Strip every weight that slows us down, especially the sin This so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And how do we do that? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. That's it. That's simple, right? Keep our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. The beauty of keeping our eyes on Christ is that when we're focused on him, we're not focused on ourselves or others. We're not distracted by all the trappings and shiny objects that are around us, and they're everywhere. We're not going to commit heinous acts when focused on Christ, because in Christ there's a deep and compassionate love that can only be found in him, which in turn gives us a deep and compassionate love for each other, which is what we're missing. We've got to ruthlessly attempt to keep our eyes on Christ. Secondly, we've got to be authentic. One of the problems with our teenagers is they're struggling with this constant and consistent message of identity. Who am I? It's what we all struggle with. These messages that they're receiving are coming from advertisers, marketers, friends, family, social media, and society, which are all pretty solid places to discover who you are, aren't they? Yeah, we're missing the mark here. If this crowd shouting out Jesus' name would have had any grounding in who they were, They wouldn't have completely flipped in a week, completely changed direction. Because we're not giving our young people any grounding in who they are and who they are in Christ. They're looking for it wherever they turn. Anyone who looks cool, any way to get attention, any way to show others who they are. So they are upping the shock value when it comes to sex, drugs, stunts, and shootings. Because on a basic level, they're desperately looking for someone to validate them and to know who they are, which can only be found in Christ. I mean, the method and example of Christ when he came to this earth, the most powerful individual to ever walk this earth, says, I didn't come to do this on my own, but I came to do the Father's will. And if he can say that, how much easier should we be able to say it? The irony of our lives is no matter how much fame, attention, or power we want, the only freedom we'll ever have is completely surrendering to Christ and what he has to offer. This was the problem with the crowd. They're strong and powerful, 
when they were focused on Christ. Look what they were doing. I mean, that had to be one of the greatest worship services ever. I mean, you were praising God like we are in here, but Jesus was there. Wow. But it turned because they weren't grounded enough to know how to keep their eyes on Christ. Being authentic is going to take strength. It's going to take power, but God says, I've given that to you. I've given that to you. The last thing we need to do is we've got to invest in others, just like Jesus invested in the disciples. You know, I don't mean, you know, saying hey or doing more head nods as we're walking down the streets of Crested Butte, but investing in others. And I'm going to call the men out for a little bit here, and you can come and talk to me later. But it's time for us to step up. We failed miserably over the last few years. And thank God for you women, because you've held it together. But when I look at these shooters, where were the men in this young man's life to show them what real men look like, what life in Christ looks like, what that there's better options out there than what the crowd is telling you? Where were the men to guide him? Go back, research all these shooters over the last several years. One of the one common denominator, no man in the life, no fathers, no mentors, no men to steer them away from the crowd and point them to the life that can only be found in Christ. You know, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, not to violence, not of selfish acts, not of setting yourself first, but love and good works. And let us not neglect meeting together, investing in one another, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now the day of his return is drawing near. Even when we know Jesus had to go to the cross, could you imagine what that crowd would have been like if they'd kept their eyes on Christ? You know, we have a unique opportunity here. And I hope you understand that living in this town of Crested Butte, what we have. If everyone in this building put their eyes on Christ, we could radically transform this town. Because if Scott's talked about the uniqueness of living in this community that's so tight-knit, yet we have so many people coming from different places. If we could put our eyes on Christ with just this crowd and create a place of rest, of comfort, of a crowd that's worth following, we could transform this valley for Christ, transform our schools, our neighborhood. So many people move to this town because they're searching for something. What if we gave them something worth finding? And they would have to search no more. My challenge for you this morning as you leave this place and you reflect upon what this crowd did, I simply want to ask you, what crowd are you following? What crowd are you looking for for answers? And what's it going to take to put your eyes back on Christ? Because there's nothing more important we could do. Let's pray.
Lord God, I just thank you for the messages you give us. Um, Sometimes they don't make sense. Sometimes we don't know how to follow them, Lord God, but you are there. And in the midst of a time of hurting in our nation, Lord God, and and not the first and won't be the last, Lord, I just pray, Lord, you know, as a church, we could step into this void, as, as Courtney prayed earlier, God, that these situations that don't make sense, these situations that um, are hard to understand, only you can step in the midst of. Only you can make sense of. But God, I, I know you're calling us to more. I know you're calling us to, to not just follow the crowds and, and do whatever they do because it, it's, it's fancy and it's cool. But you're calling us to, to swim upstream to go against the crowd and follow you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I know that's a tall order, God, and we don't understand what it means. But I know together we could figure it out in you. I pray this on our hearts. I pray this as we leave this place, Lord. We could, we could see what it truly means to keep our eyes on you in everything we do. And that we could radically transform this valley in Christ's name. I just pray all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Thank you and God bless.